As a thank you in advance for listening to this episode, please feel free to grab yourself a free copy of the Book of Public Speaking at thebookofpublicspeaking.com. Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier and really excited to be back with the latest episode. Also really excited to have a brand new first time guest. As our listeners and viewers will know, I love bringing on new guests because I believe that, you know, it's great to bring on returning guests, but you can never create that first story and and that first connection you make with somebody. So I love when listeners and viewers get to meet somebody for the first time because that's its own unique connection. So that being said, uh, really excited to bring on a new guest today. And uh, Kyle Faroli, really excited to have you here. And I think where I'd like to start, very first point, and I usually start here, is to get you to tell us from your perspective a little bit about your backstory and journey uh, so that we can actually, for those especially who haven't discovered you or heard of you before, they can actually start to get to know you immediately. So can you tell us a little bit about your backstory and journey? Sure, sure. Um, I guess I was one of those kids that asked a lot of why questions, and it led me to self-help and personal development and all that which led to becoming a psychotherapist, which led to a client shooting himself. And I left the field because I realized there's more than just talking to people. There's gotta be something going on. It's obviously the brain. And we're not working with the brain, we're working with the mind in psychology. And luckily, neuroscience answered a lot of questions for me. And while I still value the mental health aspect, and I believe everyone you know, can still benefit from that, if your brain is locked in fight or flight or fear, you're not listening. You're not able to do what you want to do. So I've been dedicating my life and my hobby and my passion, everything kind of all in one in the last 11 years, studying the mind, brain, and body. Wow. And so, you know, that, I mean, there's so many directions I could go there. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big area for sure as well. Yes. Um, so I guess, uh, I mean, the, where I'd like to start first is, you know, you mentioned what was sort of the catalyst for it. I guess, uh, you know, since you started doing it, what have been, and this is a deep place to start, but we'll, we'll go here and then work our way maybe backward. Uh, but what were some of the big early takeaways that you, you know, things you witnessed, things you saw that maybe surprised you or maybe didn't surprise you, but uh, what were some of the big takeaways right off the jump? Well, I felt intense guilt when I lost this client because he was all put together and then we kind of picked it apart and realized he was being abused by his father and we went to court and he decided he didn't want to put his dad away forever. And then the next day he did that. So I felt very guilty as a clinician to have opened this up. And it took me some time personally to work through that. And, you know, a lot of people will say that, you know, trauma is, is only certain things, you know, like being abused as a, as a, a child or, or having a spouse abuse you. But it, it could also be witnessing a car accident and watching somebody die. It could be being a therapist and watching a client die. And I didn't want to accept that because I didn't want to put it all on me. Oh, poor me. But I realized there are things that we have that happen in our life. It could be losing a job. It could be getting divorced. It could be losing a child. There are so many things that, that can torment our mind for the rest of our life if we don't look at that. So where I really picked up the pieces was once I had my brain scanned and I had my body's physiology looked at, I realized I was living in, in fear and stress. 
And then I realized, well, when you do that, your brain locks up where you need to make good decisions, control your impulses, have empathy, how to communicate, how to be emotionally stable. It's all out the window if you're, quote, being chased by the bear. So you'll hear two things from me probably 10 times today, the bear chasing you example, and you can't always think your way out of it. And that is kind of like my flag that I wave to everyone that I run into and that you can't just read the next self-help book if you're not ready for it. If one of us had a fire in our home or office right now, we, even though we're enjoying this conversation, we would probably end it and say, I have to go, there's something more pressing. But we have these things that are more pressing we don't know are more pressing in our heads that lead our brain to go into this fear mode, which trigger our body to go into that fight or flight mode, which send a signal back to the brain saying we're locked up. But we don't get the memo that we're in that stage. And then we wonder why we make bad decisions or we are impulsive or we do things we wish we wouldn't have done or said things we wish we wouldn't have said. I was on a call yesterday with a, a, a doctor who wanted me to take over part of his program and he's doing it without a very important tool. And I kind of non-professionally told him, I, I, I can't buy into this. And I wasn't able to keep my cool. And I realized, well, that probably wasn't the best mode. But, you know, if you went to a doctor and they only looked at your eyes subjectively and said, yeah, you need eyeglasses, you wouldn't go back to them. If you broke a bone and they didn't take an x-ray, you wouldn't really want to do it. Well, this doctor wanted to just guess on brain symptoms and not do an EEG. And I just couldn't handle it. I'm going to be honest. I wasn't able to control myself. I went into my fight or flight and I said some things I shouldn't have said and I called it passion, but it was me not being professional. And I realized how passionate I am about this. And that's why I love being able to share the message about this existing to the average person because they don't know it. It's where chiropractics were 20, 30 years ago. Nobody knew of it yet. And that's my passion and goal is to bring psychophysiology and brain mapping to the masses so they understand they have an option other than just guessing. So, you know, one of these, I, I believe in synchronicity. And, you know, so we get introduced to something and we can pay attention or not pay attention. Yeah. Um, in fact, right now I'm working on a project with James Redfield who wrote The Celestine Prophecy. And yes. You're, you're familiar with the book? Wow, wow, awesome. So yeah, so I mean, I shouldn't say too much about it because we haven't really uh, meeting on the air. Uh, I'll tell you maybe off air, but um, we're working on this project. And one of the, his first insight in the book is meaningful coincidences or synchronicity. Uh, mm -hmm. So now I'm really in tune to them. I'm watching for them all the time. And so I just had one happen right now, meaning uh, almost like a, what, you know, maybe we'll call it deja vu, but there's a reason why you're, you're on the show right now. And this just happened a week ago and I hadn't heard it discussed before. But I went to Brendan Bouchard's conference in Phoenix, and I never get a chance to attend conferences because I'm always speaking at them, and I was so pumped to finally get a chance to go to one as a guest for the first time in a while, or an attendee. And so one of the things he talked about is that he, I think it was in 2011, but he had a really bad quad accident, so four-wheeler accident, or yes. four-wheeler. I don't know if you are familiar with Brendan. and her. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. So he had a bad accident, uh, flipped the quad going a certain speed, hit a rock, I think, and, and ran into some trouble, uh, both physically and, and mentally. He talked about how he was snapping at people, including his wife. They had never had a fight before that. He, he went and did a, a talk and had five or six encore standing ovations and went backstage and he said to Mel, I mean, this, he said it publicly, so I, I'm assuming I can too, but Mel Abraham, who does some stuff with him, another speaker, sure. said, Mel, he goes, that was something. Like he wasn't even, he said, like, did I lose my passion? Because five, you know, or six standing ovations, which, you know, should, he said in the past, one would have been so touching. 
And I was just like, oh, well, that happened. And so he was thinking, what's going on with me? Why am I losing my passion? Is it that I don't like what I do? And he was guessing all these things. And ultimately what happened was he reached out to... Uh, Daniel Amen. Yes, thank you. I was going to say Dr. Amen. I couldn't think of the first name. Yeah. Uh, and, and he has the book, What Does It Change Your Brain, Change Your Life, I think it's called. Something like yes. that. Yes. And so we reached out to him and said, help. Something's going on here. And so Dr. Amen said, okay, you sound okay in the phone, so I think you can wait till tomorrow morning. But get on a plane tomorrow. Like, no, no, don't wait a month. Wait to get on a plane tomorrow. Come to my office. We'll check things out. So he went to his office. They did a brain scan. And they found out he had some serious stuff going on. You might have heard this whole story. But anyway, he said, Brendan said, he sent him, he said, go across the street to, um, to have a bite to eat. And my team will talk and we'll talk to you later. And he goes, your team will talk. I'm dying, ain't I? Tell, just tell me I'm dying. Tell me. And he was like, dramatic, you know, over-dramatizing it. But, but that's how he felt. Like, something big is going on here. He went yeah. over to get a bite to eat. Dr. Amon went across the street and said, I know you're a peak performer and your brain's not showing that right now. And he's friend is that this is a nice way to tell me that things are dysfunctioning. But the moral of the whole story is what the takeaway from this whole story relates to what you're talking about, which is he said he had 14 or 12 doctors look at him, look at his, you know, look at his arms, look at the bones that were broken, his hand that was uh, um, readjusted improperly in, in, in a, by a doctor in Mexico who uh, he thought adjusted it. And the doctor said, in, in America, when he got back, said, dude, he said, it's 30% the opposite way now, or <laughs> something like that. But it was, they were looking at all these things, and he said, did the x-rays on everything? Well, he said only four of the 12 or 14 doctors asked him if he was wearing a helmet or if he impacted his head, and zero of them did a scan. Correct. So what he said, is, like he made the case that we need to start scanning brains. I think he said there's only 50, 50 people that actually do it on a regular basis. Like as far as in the, in the actual industry, in the medical industry, there's only like 50 people doing it or something. And he said, he made the case that sometimes people say that person's depressed and we start feeding them stuff for the depression, but maybe they have a cyst on their brain. And so the point of this whole story is, I don't know a whole lot about it, but it's kind of serendipity that he just shared this. It's really in my mind right now. And you're talking about it too, brain scanning. And he made the case that 99% um, of the time, people just make assumptions about the brain, the most, you know, maybe most valuable part of our whole body. And yet when it comes to a finger, we'll scan it before we make an assumption. So anyway, you can talk to that, but it's kind of neat that that came up recently. It is because I just had, um, I was at a meeting, the AAPB meeting, and I saw a friend of mine that works for Daniel Amen's Orange County office. And, um, you know, I always kind of get the scoop on what's happening there. There's SPECT imaging and there's EEG imaging. SPECT imaging is nuclear medicine where they put a radioactive isotope in you and it lights up the brain. EEG is just kind of like a stethoscope all over your brain, 19 different leads that, that get put on. But it's funny you bring up his name because there's quotes all over my my website. He see Daniel Amen makes it into every talk that I do because he's the one that's showing seven different patterns of ADD in one book and seven different patterns of, of anxiety and depression. So, you know, he kind of paved the field. His research is what got me in the field. And uh, I was able to see Daniel speak uh, two years ago at APB. Uh, this gentleman I know was he pulled some strings and said, "Hey, you really got to come to our conference. Everyone's going to be, you know, dying to meet you." So there was a line out the door, and you know, I didn't want to wait for it. I knew if I really wanted, I could just call this friend of mine up and say, "Hey, can I come over?" But and I think we owe a lot to him for the field because he is he is pioneering things, and he's the one saying, "Shame on you, doctors, for not looking." And the doctors are saying, "What do you mean? It's not in our repertoire. It's not in our education. We're not being taught this." My wife's cousin is a radiologist, and he said, we didn't go into that much depth in med school. That's scary. 
you know, I mean, thank God he told me that, but it's one of those things where we have to have more people like Brendan or myself or you or people that are trying to influence others and say, hey, this is out there, this is an option. And a diagnosis code doesn't get you better. A brain scan will, because it's a roadmap of what you can fix. And there are tools out there like neurofeedback and audiovisual entrainment and biofeedback that can help regulate your nervous system and, and brain naturally. I'm not against meds, and I know Daniel Amen isn't either, but if there's a natural way to do it first, why not try that? And that may be one of his quotes. It might be a combination of both of us, who knows? I certainly wouldn't want to take credit for something that isn't mine, but it's a pretty logical move. If there's something else out there, why wouldn't we try it first? Absolutely, and, and this raises a question that, this is a discussion I've been having a lot with people, and it's more, when I say this, it's not from a perspective of, I know the answer, or I have an answer, or I'm trying to say I'm the answer or anything, because I don't know the answer to this at all. But one of the things that I actually was talking to an Uber driver, I was trying to think of who I was talking to about this, an Uber driver in Phoenix about this, uh, on the way to the conference, in fact, or maybe it was way back, and it probably got triggered by what Brendan said. But about the fact that right now, ADHD, ADD, uh, autism, allergies are all on the rise. Uh, so here's a question I have for you, just to get your thoughts on this. And, and we can tie it to uh, one or all of those things. But, well, first of all, to your point, if we could figure out what's going on, well, why wouldn't we want to? What concerns me, and this is the part I, as an outside looking in, is why are we not asking the question more? Like, why are we looking and saying, everybody now is allergic to something, and hardly anybody was when I was younger. People are like, well, they didn't diagnose it. Well, I would notice if somebody's having a, an allergy attack for peanuts, like I see now. So I don't mm -hmm. think it was as, as big as it was. So the question is, why are we not saying, what's the trigger for these things? And so my question to you, I guess, is um, A, why are we not asking that question more? But B, um, you know, when it comes to maybe ADD and ADHD, why do you think it's on the rise? Like, do you think we're discovering it more now? I, I can certainly say with autism, we would have noticed if it was as prevalent as it is now. So do you think there's a new trigger or why are we not noticing it as much? And would the brain scan help with that? I mean, I'm just, I just like your thoughts on this. Well, the brain scan definitely will show you what pattern you have and the meds don't work for all patterns. The biggest thing that I see in my office is somebody mislabeled or misdiagnosed as ADHD and they're actually anxious. And you might say, okay, it's just a label, but in the brain, it's a whole different pattern. If your brain is running too fast or your brain is running too slow, you can have the same symptoms. And when you have the same symptoms, Dr. Bob or Roberta or whatever, we gotta be PC here, is going to say, you look like you need a stimulant because that's what helps ADD. If you have a brain map, you can see if that stimulant is going to be effective or if you need a different drug or a different training to make that better. A lot of times people have brain injuries and the brain slows down and the brain doesn't connect as well. On the SPECT imaging, you can see it in a 3D. On the EEG, you have to kind of read between the lines, no pun intended, those little squiggly lines. Yeah. And you can see what is working too fast or too slow. A side note, the medical EEG is looked at in, in the waves. It's, a, it's called the raw EEG. The clinical version is the QEEG where it gets run through databases. But you can also look at that at QEEG software without databases and still look at raw EEG and kind of compartmentalize them into categories. And you can see where these peaks fall. And you can see if someone's peak is off for their alpha. You can see if their ratios are off between theta and beta waves, which have a lot to do with ADD. 
as far as answering your original question, I'm not qualified in nutrition to say that it's a huge thing, but I know we don't eat the way we used to. I know we eat a lot more processed things, even if we try and eat healthy and it's organic, is it really? And, you know, there's a lot of changes, I think, in fast food, even though it might be fresh fast food, it's still not the same as our grandma's probably made. And I think that that weighs a lot into it, as well as the overstimulation. And I'm dealing with that with my little ones right now, is we, we let them do a little too much YouTube in summer when we're both, my wife and I both have careers and we're both working. Well, the, the digital nanny comes out, you know, a little too much. And I think I, I have to actually work on my younger now because I think she's overstimulated. Even though we don't let her do it too much, she enjoys it so much. And then when she doesn't have it on, she doesn't know how to function. And she's super smart. They both go to a private school. They're, you know, it's a very small, maybe one on 10, one on 11 ratio. It's not, she's not getting lost in, in, a, in a crowd. But the teachers are saying, hey, we've noticed some shifts. I'm like, oh, great. You know, so of course, the spotlight's on me being brain dead and trying to figure out what some of the options are. Well, what did I do? I mapped her. And I realized what's going on, and now I know where to start. Instead of taking her into the doctor, oh, well, she can't focus. She's anxious. She's not ADD. Now, I just saved my own child. That gives me a tingle, a warm fuzzy. And if you can do that for more people, that could be huge. The downside, the, the blind spot of all of this is that there's different ways of looking at the brain. There are some people measuring one or two sites at a time and then gluing them together or duct taping them together, as crude as it sounds. And there are people recording all 19 at the same time. So you can imagine you're gonna get a lot more data of connectivity if, it's, if you're recording it all at the same time versus if you record one or two at a time. So brain maps are not brain maps. You wanna make sure that you're getting the right thing. And that's the message in my book and in my speeches and talks is to tell people, you don't have to come to the Midwest and have cheese curds and ice cream with me. You can get this done all over the US, but you need to make sure you're going to somebody reputable, doing it the right way, and not trying to get you all like in an all-in-one box system. You really wanna make sure you're getting the right thing. And that's the problem is if you go get heart surgery, it's pretty similar. You know, you're gonna go somewhere, they're hopefully gonna do it similarly, right? But with our field, you could have something across town be 180 degrees different. So I don't wanna police the field as much as I wanna educate people to know where to go. And then in my spare time, I end up policing the field. <laughs> to be honest, I'm not gonna lie. It bothers me so much when people come into me and they've been doing training or had machines and people don't even know what they're starting with. So it's really important to get that done. And if Brennan Burchard can share more of that message, you know, he has a huge influence on people. And I kind of wondered how he teamed up with Eamon because I started seeing a lot of Eamon's things change, a little more marketing on his end. And I started seeing Eamon speaking with, with Brandon on a few things. And it's wonderful because it, it's, it's the best influence of both and that Brendan brought something to Eamon and Eamon brought something to Brendan for sure. So that's awesome. You got to experience that. Yeah, no, I agree. Completely awesome. And he has a pretty, as you know, pretty wide platform. So oh, yeah. Yeah. And people, I mean, you can see the influence he has whenever he launches new products at an event. You, I mean, wow. 500 yeah. people lined up at, a, at my guesstimate out of 2000 to sign up for his new influencer program. And I was one of them and, and, and I'm in this world and, and I still was like, I need to have this, you know, mm -hmm. and, but that's another, and, it, and there's a, there's, I think a lot of, you could actually learn a lot psychologically from how he uh, does things, meaning the fact that he gives so much away that you go, if he can give that much away, what's he, what's behind the curtain? And, yes. But it's to his credit because most people won't give away the whole farm. 
he will. And I think that's, people always ask me, what's his secret? I think that's a big one, is he'll, get, he'll give you away an hour on a video that'll teach you how to do the whole thing that he would otherwise, or other people otherwise would sell you. And he's saying, no, no, have it for free. And it's yeah. hard not to feel like, I want to do more with this person and give them money if they're giving you that much for free. So I think there's, speaking of the brain, I think there's a whole psychological thing that he's yeah. doing. And it, I, I can't speculate whether, you know, how intentional it or not it is because I think he does enjoy, and I think most people would enjoy giving away stuff for free. I think it's just that a lot of other people have the scarcity mindset and they're scared to do that. He's not yeah. scared to do it, but yeah. it's worked for him. He definitely rubbed off on me because I did, I think there's about 45 or 47 videos on my YouTube page that we launched two weeks ago. And I thought, well, you can make a part of a course. No, I just want to give, I even, I gave away seven parts of my book. So you really don't have to read the book. You can listen to those things and get the tidbits out. If you want to hear the weird story, sure. But to me, it's not about making a dollar on a book. It's getting them in information in front of more people to make a good decision about their health. I'm not going to feed my family selling a book, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's just not a model that, that works that way, but getting the information out. some people would rather have a book. Some people would rather watch a video or listen to it while they're working out or whatever. So we put seven videos, one for each chapter of, of the book. And as I was doing that, I decided, well, let's go in another direction and keep making videos. I have my own little studio and I, I plan to continue doing that every week because I want people to have that same thought of, okay, if he's giving all this away, what else is behind the curtain? Well, obviously you can come here and have imaging done, but that's not the goal. The goal is just, I want to throw as much out there as I can to help people move forward. So here's another question then. Um, I guess it's more curiosity because I've often think of, as you said, more people could be doing this, but they're not. So here's the follow-up question to that, I guess, in the question of why aren't people not doing it, but is it costly? Well, and I'll, I'll say this from a point of view of getting the scan or even delivering the scan. Is that a factor as to why people don't do it? Or is it maybe because sometimes there's less money in doing it? Like, I'm just wondering what the, you know what I mean? What the wall between is. There, there are some people that I, I've worked with that charge as little as $300 for a scan. They may not know what they're doing completely. At one person I trained, I said, why are you charging? Why well, do I want to charge what you do? Because I don't know what I'm doing yet. Okay, let's replay that. Why are you doing it at all then? Why are you charging? Like tell people this is experimental or have somebody else read them. I've been doing this 11 years and I still work with two of the top people in the field. They read all of my EEGs. I know enough to be dangerous. I know enough to read these things. But if there's someone else out there that is the superstar, why not just hire them and have them do it? And my life has gotten so much easier because now I'm not wondering, hmm, I wonder if I should be worrying about this. I don't because though these people have seen millions of scans and I know that I'm in, in good hands with that and I think that there are other people in the field that are doing the mini maps I was telling you about they're charging twelve hundred dollars that's that could actually be worse than nothing because the way that they put things together they miss spots when you don't look at all of the spots you mentioned um, Asperger's and autism usually that happens back here where the parietal and the temporal lobe meet and those spots don't get measured. Usually it's just two or three or four up on top, maybe a few in the midline, maybe one here. If you're not looking at all 19 spots, how do you know what you're getting? And that's just clinical. If you go research, they do like 128. I mean, it's like your whole head's like a net. You know, you've probably seen the, some things in Time Magazine or whatever where they're, they're showing that. That scares people off. But the bigger thing is, you know, to have a good quality machine record a medical grade spectrum 
of frequencies, not just this much, but the whole thing. And then you can filter in and out what you want and then have somebody process that data that knows what they're doing. And I started off just kind of swimming through it. And then I got into a doctorate program where the big of the big swim. And I thought, wow, this is painful. Like I've been at this so long and I still feel like I'm a, I'm a beginner. And one of my mentors, Jay Gunkelman, had told me, if you ever call yourself an expert, I won't talk to you again. And that's the best advice I ever got because my head will always fit through the door because I'm a lifelong student, lifelong learning. I might know more than my neighbor about brain imaging, but there are other people that know more. And the minute you say you're an expert, I think you sit back and everyone's impressed and wants to work with you because you're the expert. But I'm sure Brendan Burchard's still reading books. I'm sure he's still trying to learn his next mousetrap to use, right? So I don't think it's enough to just sit back and say, yeah, I know everything. And that's, you know, when I've been surrounded by some amazing people in my field that have, you know, reinforced that of, hey, you know, we, we may be the, you know, seasoned professional. It might be a nice way to word it. But the expert word, you know, if you, if you don't have it, people don't trust you. You want to have the top expert work on you. If I had heart surgery, I want to have the best heart surgeon. But I'd also want one that might be still learning and not have done it 50,000 times and said, well, I know what I'm doing in my sleep. You might be the accident then. So, you know, so brain mapping, yes, sorry for a long-winded answer to an easy question. Um, they do range, you know, from some people charge thousands of dollars. If you get insurance involved, they do what's called usual and customary, and they jack the rates through the roof, and then nobody wins. So fee-for-service is, is pretty fair. Six to $900 seems to be a pretty average rate. When people don't have something really wrong, that's outrageous. They're not going to pay it. But when people have something wrong, they're desperate, they'll do anything. And a lot of people seem to come in. One of my, my favorite clients, who's now actually a family friend, she had said, I knew about you years ago, but I, I didn't see you, you know, as an MD yet, and I didn't really trust it. But then we went through all that, got really jacked over pretty bad, and said, we might as well give this a try. And this is what helped him. He was my number one, in 11 years, my number one success case. And it was all because she finally said, well, I'm out of options. I better try Kyle. You know? And, and you... And and it's, it's wild because you answered, oh, my question. <laughs> that was interesting. Just one sec here, Kyle. I'll explain in a sec what just happened. The chair. <laughs> the chair actually broke. <laughs> that's, that's a first ever. Too much energy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I just told you, it's, it, that's, again, another meaningful coincidence is that uh, I said that sometimes I share a story from an interview. That, that probably just became a story now for an interview. The, uh, the funny part is the, the other side of it was was broke in like just the bottom part, but I didn't think that would break the chair, but I guess I was wrong. Um, but anyway, so now I'm in a new one. Uh, so I wanted to jump onto that though. Uh, so that's amazing. So you sort of answered my question because my question was when you hear people kind of not, I'm gonna say staying away from it or not going that direction, you start to think, is this something that costs fifty, dollars $100,000? So you answered my question that it's not something that's that prohibitive that where a person has to have insurance and, you know, and sell their house and everything else. I mean, yeah. we're talking a pretty minimal investment Con considering what people spend monthly on stuff. You know, when you look at what, I bet you the people that drink at Starbucks regularly probably spend oh. as much of that a at a year on Starbucks as to get their brain scanned, the most important thing in their temple of their body. I would agree. <laughs> so that, so I'm not a coffee drinker, so I would really agree. <laughs> and that's why I was driving at that question. I was curious, yeah. is, that, is, that, is it something that's affordable, which it obviously is? But it's one of those things where, you know, until it's so bad, you know, if, if somebody's struggling in a marriage, they don't have marriage counseling until things are falling apart, not preventative, 
hey, it's starting to fall apart. We should maybe not let it fall apart. They wait till it's in shambles. I work with a lot of family uh, therapists and they say, yeah, people come in, they're, they're already done. And they think they're going to patch it. And they, it's already went too far. So it's no different with health. I mean, I've talked to people, my, my kids go to a very nice little private school and people there have, they think they weigh their money. They don't, they don't count it, you know, not us, we're normal, but, and they don't come in. I'm like, what's wrong with it? You can't say money's an issue. You guys have 10,000 houses all over the States, right? I mean, and you're flying off to wherever to go skiing every other week. So a thousand bucks shouldn't really bother you or 900, whatever it is. Well, they don't have, they don't see it bad enough yet. They don't see some of the the, the drinking at the club every night, you know, bad enough because it hasn't gotten them pulled over and have them lose their license. And then suddenly, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Or, you know, Johnny hit his head downhill skiing in Vail at our seventh house. So can you help them? They wait until that point. If they're actually the smart ones, the rest of them are like, no, that's nice that you do that. You know, it, it's people don't realize that you could get an, get an edge on it. And now what they're linking, which is really scary is Heart rate variability is something that happens in your body. You want to have a heart rate variable heartbeat. When you inhale, it should go up. When you exhale, it should come down. They're linking that, if you don't have good variability, to poor sleep. Now they're linking poor sleep to Alzheimer's. And of the Alzheimer's patients and dementia patients I have right now, guess what they all had trouble with? Breathing, and guess what they all have? CPAPs. So could we stop some of this preventative instead of letting it get so far off? That's my wonder. So here's, I guess, the my follow-up question to that then is, because and, and I, I didn't ask you this, and I think you kind of alluded to it, so I'll just reconfirm it for sure. But are you also saying that it does, it does make sense to make this a preventative thing or a, a preventative maintenance rather than, as you said, just whenever everything's falling to pieces, go in and see Kyle? Like, well, yeah, you know what's fair? Seeing it early on? I don't get a flu shot. And then I'm telling someone they should get a brain scan. So I don't think, I think I'm biased on that because I see the value and I'd love to scan everybody I can. And not because I make a few bucks on it, but because people are like, whoa. And some people are ticked off, you know, like people that come in that are CEOs or execs or, you know, attorneys and that. And they're like, I got everything rolling. Life is good. And then you start pointing things and they, I'm surprised they don't like kill you because they're so frustrated. Like, I don't have anything wrong. I don't even know why I came here. Oh, well, you just told me all these things that aren't going so well for you. And I had, I had one guy, he, he came in on his, on his jet and he, someone drove him over or whatever. And I don't know if it was someone else in his company or whatever. And he just lost it in my office. He's like, do you realize I have like seven homes and I have a Learjet and all this? Do you realize I have my together yeah, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but I'm telling you, this is not me psychologically counseling you. This is me saying objectively, here's the norm and here's where you are. And I'm not talking database. I'm just saying... For example, when you're relaxed, you breathe about six breaths a minute. When you're in panic or stress, you breathe 18, 20 breaths a minute. He's breathing three times faster than he should have. And he couldn't slow down when I asked him to, even following a pacer. To me, that means I could help you. Doesn't mean something's wrong, I'm not gonna go there, but it means that I could help you. So, you know, the, the brain mapping and the psychophysiological assessment of the nervous system, those are kind of like the starting points that we go with. And then from there, there are trainings and tools that are available for you but not all of them are the same thing. Some people do heart rate variability with a, a thing on your finger called a blood volume pulse sensor, but they don't measure your respiration. Well, you could hunch over like this and panic breathe and the machine will tell you that you're doing great. There's other professional systems out that have respiration, have CO2, have oxygen levels. So they're checking more metrics so you don't slip through the cracks. 
So you can't just say, oh, Kyle talked about biofeedback, I'll go online to Amazon and buy the first thing I see. Ironically, the Pulse Ox is like 20 bucks and it is a really valuable tool if you know how to use it properly. So, you know, there is some weight in that, but yeah, as far as, you know, should people do it? Well, of course they should do it, but we should do a lot of things for preventative too. And there's a lot of times where, you know, I'll fall off the wagon and go get a sub sandwich and I know I shouldn't have bread, you know? So, I mean, sometimes it's life happens and you can't have it be perfect, but if you are falling or you are struggling, why not look at some of these options right away? And again, it doesn't mean shameless plug, come to Wisconsin and have cheese curds and ice cream with me. It means let's find someone in your area. If you don't find someone in your area, we'd love to see you. But it's not one of those things where some people are like, hi, my name's Kyle. I'd like you to buy my book and I'd like you to come to my center. No, this is a bigger message to get out to the masses that there are other people like me that exist that are doing crazy cool things. And that there are options. Whereas, again, I mean, I obviously I, I knew of brain scamming or scamming <laughs> brain scanning and uh, and and brain mapping. I knew of these things, yeah. but until Brendan even said this just a few weeks ago, it didn't stick in my mind. And mm -hmm. now it's conscious; it's front of mind. Just from hearing it, it was one of my biggest takeaways from his three day conference. Actually, it was a three and a half day conference. I was, I missed the first day, so uh, two and a half days, and that was my one of my biggest takeaways. And so that's why I ask you: um, Is it something that you know, people should look at, even if they don't see something wrong in the surface. But it goes back to that point of, you know, whatever the fee, let's say it's a thousand dollars, whatever the number is for somebody that's flying around in a jet, you know, and, and, and you sense that you're off. I, I just, to me, it, 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 you know, it's, it's, I hate to say it this way because it's, again, it's maybe a pun, but it's a no brainer. You know, it's well, to him, it wasn't money. It was just that how dare someone tell me he had something wrong. He thought he was coming in for peak performance. Sometimes you've got to back up and get to baseline before you can start peak performance. And that's where people get crabby is that especially the athletes, they come in and they just have the head that barely fits through the door and you got to try and squeeze it through and you tell them, hey, this is why you're struggling. I'm not struggling. I'm okay. Whatever you think, you know, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, one of the great things about what you're doing is, as you said, it's not, it's not one of these things where you're saying, here's my opinion on this. It's not where you're saying, um, well, I sat with you for an hour and I heard you talk and here's why I think you're doing this. No, here's actual, here's the proof. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you, can, you can hate me, but here's, here's the difference. Exactly. Yeah. And so I love that that's what you're doing because there's not so many things in the world that we can have that are conclusive. You know, you can look at one peak performer and see that they say no more often than everybody else. And they only say yes to the things that move the needle. And then the next peak performer can say yes to everything. And those yeses turn into all these major opportunities. And you could look at the two of them and say, well, you got to yeah. say no more. But this other guy's proven that's not true. Exactly. Yeah. Where it's this is Case by case. Yeah. So, but this is pretty conclusive in the sense that you can actually look and say, there's something going on here. Yes. So I love that. Uh, so I guess uh, as we start to wind down, Colin, I know we've just barely scratched the surface. I know there's so much more. We, I mean, this is your, your whole passion career life. Yeah. And you could probably, you know, you could probably talk to this for hours and hours. But uh, as we wind down, I have three super quick questions, if that works okay. And, uh, and then I'll just ask you the unofficial question of where we can learn more. But the, the last three super quick questions one, how do you define success? I would say that success is more of where you feel you are, you know, not comparing yourself to others, but do you wake up in the morning and are you scared? 
you wake up in the morning and you're ready to take on your day. I used to think success was the Rolex and the luxury car and the fancy house and the, and the club. And, you know, after acquiring all those things at 30 and driving, I had this whole body chill in a bad way of, I'm still not happy. I'm married. I have my first kid. I have a private practice. I've acquired all these little things. Now, granted, someone that's totally low is going to say, well, I need another Learjet. You know, I just wanted to have a comfy car with heated seats, right? But you, you hit these things, and I actually have a video on YouTube saying this, and it, it, some of it's embarrassing, but at the same point, I know other people go through it. Are you okay when you wake up? Are you healthy? Are you at your best? Is there a way that you could try to be a little bit more? And could we or somebody in my field show you how to be more? When I had my first EEG done, I was, I was shocked at how well, I thought I was doing another video I have online somewhere. And, and I, I left it up and it's gotten more vi views than the study of the brain because people are like, oh, it's the real deal. He's actually exposing himself and being real. And I couldn't believe how crappy my brain pattern was. Well, you know what it did? I either said, A, I could fuck up and get better, or I could wallow in my misery and say, oh, I'm, I'm cursed. I have a problem. I have a diagnosis. Well, I never got diagnosed. My brother's mentally handicapped. So my parents never said, hey, maybe Kyle has ADD, or maybe he's Spectrum, or maybe he's something that he always has these ways about him. Well, no, there was no time for me. I just had to be the normal one. But when I saw my brain realize I could balance that out and maybe not have, be as much of a hall monitor. I could balance this out and not be such a perfectionist. I could do this to help myself sleep and still keep my heart and still be passionate about wanting to help other people. It's, it's kind of a win-win. So to me, success is being okay in your own skin. And it really doesn't matter about money. I've had some, I've lost it, I've built it, I've lost it. I mean, I don't think it all comes back to that. Am I still chasing it? Yeah, I'll admit I am a little bit. But my thing is, if you're doing something right and you're helping other people, it's like the Zig Ziglar quote. You know, if you help other people get what they want, you know, it's going to come back to you. So to me, that's success. Love it. And so how about passion and purpose, you know, big words. Uh, and, and I define them different as different things. Some people make them interchangeable. For me personally, passion is what you do. Purpose is why you're doing it. But whichever angle you take on that, Kyle, I'd love to get your take on that. Do you think it's important for a person to find their passion and or their purpose? Well, you just kind of gave away chapter seven of my book, which is you need to have a bigger thing than you, whether it's a God or it's a universe or it's a spiritual thing or it's a habit or like a hobby or it's being a parent or being a child. I mean, it might change. You shouldn't like put all your identity into being a parent and your kid goes off. I know that. That's like 101. But I think if you have something bigger than you to pull you through, for example, I got audited by the IRS over something dumb. I had a client die and I got pushed out of my office all in one month. And it was going into our drought season, you know, with the, it's like retail, you know, you have good months, you have bad months. Well, you know, the winter's slow, people are traveling, they don't want to come in and do anything. Spring, the phone rings off the hook. So I knew that I had my book to finish. I knew I was making all these videos. I knew that I was launching my speaking career in a very global sense. And that pulled me through. Yes, I'm still a dad. Yes, I'm still a husband. Yes, I'm still a son. But there was something that that was just a little bit stronger for just me that doesn't have to change. You know, if you identify as a child and your parents pass, you're still a child, but I don't know how you'd go logistically, philosophically with that. And so the six chapters, the first in my book, are very factual. The last chapter I can get picked on because it's just me with my opinions, like most self-help books. But the first six chapters are, you know, more on understanding the influence of the environment, how it affects you, going into mind, brain, body, traditional medicine, self-help, psychology, you know, all there's blind spots and all of that. But the last one is this. So I think if you have that passion, you have that purpose, 
it can help pull you through on those really hard days. And I know when I didn't have that passion, I was just trying to do other things, I wasn't as effective or happy inside either. So even though it's raining, you know, you can have that umbrella and say, okay, it's dry right here. You know, it's, it's dry right now. So interestingly, when you say that, I feel a similar way about me finding my passion because I lived 20 some years without it. And so I can see the difference. And yeah. what's interesting is I've talked, you know, not, and I very clearly say this, not from a medical perspective, but just from what I've witnessed is I think that there's a, a missing vitamin that we should be taking, which I call vitamin P. And I say it's the, vit the only vitamin you can't buy in the stores, it seems like now, uh, yeah. but maybe the most important vitamin you'll ever take, which is that vitamin of getting that passion into your life, taking that passion and purpose into your life. And that's how powerful I feel it is because you see people that uh, used to be sick all the time. They discover their passion and then they're, they're always yeah. on. You see yeah. them seem to have more energy. They, people want to be around them more. I mean, it's it, it really in a lot of ways, it fulfills so many things that few other things will. So I'm a big believer, obviously, in both passion and purpose. So I'm glad you, you pointed it out that way, though, that it's what can what it's basically what can take you through those rainy days. Mm -hmm. so I love that. Uh, so the last official question, maybe my favorite, only because I, I love the different perspectives you get. Uh, for some people, it's a quick answer. Some people, it takes a bit of time. So feel free to take some time to think it through. Uh, but if you could jump into a time machine, jump back X amount of years, you would know the most important time, I wouldn't, but you could go back to see a younger Kyle at the time when he needs you the most and tell him what you've learned in the years since. What do you think you might tell that younger Kyle? Find your passion. I, I tried to be somebody I wasn't. I tried to have jobs I didn't want to have. I tried to work for the man. I tried to be inside the box. And the minute that things finally started going with my center and my practice, where I could do what I really wanted to do, which was write books and speak, there's, there's no stopping it now. But before that, it was a mess. I, I wish I could go back in time and not get so upset and so emotional, like in middle school and high school about things and realize that it all was going to work out. But when you don't align with other people and you can't keep up with the Joneses, but yet you have all these other issues, you know, skills and issues and all these other things that kind of balance out, other people have had junk that you wouldn't want. You know, you want to carry someone else's backpack through life. But I think there's a lot of it in that I was harder on myself than I should have been. I wanted perfection. And now there's so much of it I, I, don't, I don't second guess. I don't micromanage. I know I'm on the right path and I love it. And without that, I don't know where I'd be. I'd be lost like a lot of people. So to me, that's what it would be is to just go back and tell myself, hey, it's going to get better when you take that vitamin P. <laughs> I love it. And I will say, Kyle, my maybe partly this backs up the fact that it's one of my favorite questions to ask because of the different answers you get is my latest, my, my last or third TEDx talk is actually called, what would you tell your younger self? And it's actually me sharing what I've learned are the common answers. What's really cool is what you shared. And that's why to me, it's so powerful to learn from what people have discovered because then I can share with people so they don't have to go back to the younger selves and maybe they can take on, you know, take on this change earlier. But what's interesting is what you said is most people tell themselves, like most people would go back and tell themselves, don't beat yourself up so much. Don't worry if you make the, take the wrong path because you're going, you're still going to get to the right place. Don't be so hard on yourself. It's interesting. Those are the common themes that keep coming up is that we stress too much over stuff that probably won't matter in 10 years. And yeah. so, so it's, it's, it's a common theme, which I love sharing with people because wouldn't it be great if we could all learn that at 18 or 20 rather than 40 or 50 or 60. So the sad part is some of that stuff, you know, you have to, it comes with wisdom and you know, you have to fall down those, those manholes, but I still think we could shortcut that a lot. So 
Anyway, so I digress. Uh, so my very last question, Kyle, and it's the unofficial question, is simply how can we learn more? Like, do you have a hub or a place where you can send us if we want to connect with you? Somebody wants to hire you as a speaker or learn more about your work or maybe go down to Wisconsin and, uh, and, and sit with you and, and have those sure. conversations. Uh, the best way to contact me is at kyleferroli.com, K-Y-L-E-F-E-R-R-O-L-Y.com. Or if you Google Mind Brain Dude, I'll probably pop up with that. And my center is called the Center for Mind Brain Balance. And the website is Mind Brain Balance. But it's also linked on the Kyle Feroli page. So there there are only a few of us. Uh, Feroli spelt with the Y, so I should be very easy to find. The other half of the families with an I. Another day, another story. But, uh, you know, it's crazy Italians. We can't get along. So... <laughs> Awesome. Well, Kyle Froley, this has been an absolute pleasure and I'll call it a to be continued with your permission because I know I love to. Well, and I always say we barely scratched the surface when I realize this is something that's go longer, but I'll even say it because we barely scratched the surface of the brain for another pun. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, as you, it's almost like we, we did the, what did you say? It was the six or seven points. It's like we covered the six or seven points, not the 19. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Surface. Yeah. But at the same time, you just kind of also, because people do ask me, how can I learn more about his work and, and this person that you had on the show? But you kind of answered that earlier too. You have a ton of videos that people can go onto YouTube and learn more from you and about you as well. Yep. So by the way, will they find that from the website too? Can they? Is the uh, they should, or you can just Google Kyle Frilly on YouTube and I should should pop up but there there are a bunch of them linked to there and then obviously once you get to one of them off the website you can find the whole playlist awesome i love it well thanks kyle this has been an absolute pleasure and as i promised we'll call it a to be continued and and keep this conversation alive in the future sounds great thank you so much for having me This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.